an embrace wrapped close to the skin, saturating, condensation mingling with sweat. There's a texture to it that I've not felt anywhere else. When the sun breaks, it doesn't tiptoe through dawn. It's there in its full fury, from the moment of first light till its dusk retreat. That summer, the city blistered. The scrim shores were kept busy repairing cracks in bone. The trills' moisture were the only thing that stopped the fleshwood from igniting. Our tempers, though, were frayed to wicks, ready to catch. And Hollandale would be the spark. Centuries before, in the days after Orkin cemented his place in song and statue by fending off that proliferation of coral limbs we called the Orca Hull, we rebuilt. The sanctioned version of the tale goes that all of the city turned to singular purpose. Together we cleaned the streets, boarded up the windows and relayed bricks into our walls. Those great families would have you believe that they rolled up their sleeves and mucked in instead of trying to buy out what was left of workers' homes from under them. When the city turned against them, Hullindale was their concession. A salve to our forebears' anger. One day to be spent outside our boats and workshops and factories. It were a good a day as any for a march. It lined up just right. Those gilded few that could claim suffrage were going to vote. An emergency election to decide a new warden for Holm to heal the wound caused by Atrium Split. The families thought they were going to tell us which one of their useless scions was going to rule us next. Well, the people of Atrium had decided that they wanted their say too. Welcome to these flimsy rituals, an actual play podcast focused on telling small stories in big worlds. Today we're continuing our game of Blades in the Dark by John Harper, and joining me is Thryn Henderson. Hi, I'm Thryn, and you can find me on Twitter at Thryn. And Ryan Evans. Hey, uh, my name's Ryan, and you can find me on Twitter at BrainXray. And I'm your host, Adam Dixon. You can follow me on Twitter at at Dixon, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Flimsy Rituals. As always, all of the music featured in this season's episodes are from Satin by Kai Engel. So we open with both of you waiting in the Temple of Harbour. It's the cathedral in Atrium that we created in the Ground Itself episodes. I think we detailed it because of the question, what is the most beautiful thing here? And this was it. And this place is beautiful inside and out. It's carved into one of the vertebrae of the fallen remnant Rodella. And I think it's been shaped from just being a vertebrae into something that is half like natural and half the shape of a building. And I think across the bone, both inside and out, 
there's a palimpsest of Scrimshaw that covers every available surface. I think there's a change from the last time we saw it. When we saw it in those Ground Itself episodes, it was quite formal and intimidating, whereas now it feels more communal, more homely. As we come to settle on you two waiting, we see the dozens of bright statues that children have made, presented proudly in the temple's main chamber. We see most of that room's dozen altars turned into tables for community projects and meetings. This is a place that is busier than it used to be. And if we remember from what happened in the ground itself, one of the things was that the cardinal of Parsant died, and this new priest took over this temple in Atrium, um, Lena Fisher, who I think that's who you're waiting to meet. And I think you're, at the moment, both outside of one of the doors to her office. And I think you've been sat there for 10 minutes longer than you should have been. And from inside, you can hear raised voices talking. How are you both waiting? Are you, are you sat down? Are you stood up? What does this look like? I've got a pretty strong image in my head of Ezra, like, sat on the floor, leaning against the wall with, like, a ludicrously small, fancy cup someone has obviously donated to the temple. You know that specific kind of really weak orange squash you get in, like, village halls? Yeah. Like a cup of that. Ooh, yeah. Do they have oranges in Embrace? Whatever the equivalent fruit is, some kind of sea kumquat or... I mean, I'm happy for it to be orange or... Sea kumquat. <laughs> Squash. Yeah. I think it's citrusy. It's something citrusy. Yeah. And I like the idea that it's not like juice that we would make, but it's actually like they've, they've squeezed one out and then added water to it. Yeah, to like bulk up how long it will last. Yeah. And Ivar, how are you waiting? Can we even see you? Yeah, I think so. I think because I assume if we've we've been called here, he's wanted to be here. So I think he's visible. Yeah, I think I think he's pacing, just gently back and forth, trying to think about what's going on, but also trying to keep his eyes sort of under the brim of his hat, <laughs> just to not really draw attention to himself that he's not alive. Yeah. Are you, like, keeping your tail hidden? Is that a thing you can do? Or is it always on show? I think it's on show, but, like, I think that's part of the purpose of the hat. You know, if he, he tucks his eyes underneath the brim or just keeps them kind of out of sight, it's, it's not so obvious. You'd have to really be paying attention to notice it. I guess one of the questions we didn't ask last time is, are you always manifested, Ivar? Or is it a thing that you choose to do? I kind of feel like Ivar is manifested when he's really concentrating on something. He's willing himself to be doing something or to be in the world. And perhaps when he's more relaxed or trying to rest, that he will drift in and out, if that makes sense. Yeah. Is that always through choice? I, I think it's not through choice at the moment. Okay. I kind of feel like he's still getting used to that side of him and he's trying to work out what he can and can't do and what he does and doesn't have control over. That sounds good. So I think from inside the room, 
every now and again you can probably hear sounds of shouting. I think Ezra, you in particular, recognise one of the voices to be Nilcat. Do you try and listen in at all? I think a little bit in that way where when you're trying to convince yourself you're such a good person, you're like, I'm not listening to this. I'm just happening to be hearing some of it. And Ivar, are you listening? No, I think he's going to continue to just pace up and down. He's not really bothered about what's going on now. He'll get the info sooner or later when someone comes out, right? That makes sense. I think you get the sense that there are maybe four or five people in there. The two main people that seem to be talking are Lena and Ezra. You can hear Lena quite often just talking through quite a calm voice. She's quite level as a person. I think Nilcat, you definitely hear get a bit heated a few times. I think it's after one of these heated moments that the door opens and people come out. I think Nilcat is at the front and then uh, two or three other people walk out behind him. I think the two or three people, you probably recognise them as revolutionaries, members of the People's Ward of Atrium. Maybe another one is a Ginnel. You recognise them, but they kind of like leave straight away. Nilcat, though, I think clocks you both and instead of walking out, turns to, like, talk to you. Ezra is immediately trying to hide the cup of squash to look cooler. (laughs) So I'm not sure whether we've seen Nilcat fully on screen yet this season. He is a young man. He is quite tall. He has four arms and, like, quite a square face. And I think his skin is sort of greyish pink and i think he's got like a head of sort of dark tousled hair am i right in saying that you and nilcat have a connection ezra ezra would like to think so um i think uh ezra and nilcat have been mates like pals for a pretty long time uh nilcat is a, a mechanic right yeah yeah i think he works or used to work in some of the factories And I think Nilcat probably left the factories for a similar reason you did, in that he became a union organiser and then lost his job through that. Yeah, I mean, I think Ezra left the factories because they were offered this carousel deal, um, which which then did not pan out. But I think Nilcat leaving to become, or Nilcat being kicked out because he became a union organiser was probably a part of that. I think Ezra took the contract rather than hanging around and being arrested. Yeah. So I think Nilcat looks at Ivar and then starts to speak to Ezra in that sort of like, oh yeah, I know you're here, I'm speaking to both of you, but like Ezra's the one I know. And it's like, you're here to see Lena. He just kind of sighs to himself. Listen, you're not, you're not going to like it. I'm, I argued around. I think as action goes, it's pretty shit, but... I think he just sort of like shrugs and goes, she'll explain it to you. I I tried to tell her otherwise and starts to kind of wander off, I imagine. Okay. You around later? Want to grab a beer? Uh, I think Ezra is kind of standing up, dusting themselves off, ready to go in and see Lena, and they kind of nod, tuck a like, not entirely extinguished cigarette behind their ear 
um, and sort of head through the door, kind of calling back over their shoulder, extremely forced nonchalantly. Depends how this job goes, doesn't it? But yeah, probably, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll see you later. No cat does a little laugh. You come in too, and then he sort of like looks at you, trying to remember your name, Ivar. Well, I'll have a try, see if I can pick up the glass first, you know. He smiles and and, and walks across uh, the chamber. <laughs> so, like, tries to punch Ivar on the shoulder, which obviously <laughs> doesn't work. Just goes straight through. Okay. Um, I think you go into the room with Lena. Lena is another character we saw through the Ground Itself games. Uh, she was the priest that took out this temple. I think at the minute she is sat behind the desk in this room. I think it's very much like a church meeting room. So it's a room with like a large cheap table in and a few chairs. It's definitely slightly chilly, regardless of the weather outside. And I think scattered across the table are some loose papers and empty cups and maybe trays of biscuits with crumbs on from the meeting. That just happened before you came in? Is is there still a biscuit? There's still a biscuit, sure. Yes. It's very stale and... Well, it's not very stale. It's stale from being sat out. I'm still going to eat it. Uh, so Lena sits at the other end of the table. Just to describe her, uh, she is wearing... I think the priest robes you'd associate with this church, which is maybe lots of cream sort of robes, but she's made them look very workmanlike. She's got rolled up sleeves and stuff tucked in to other stuff, so it just looks a little bit more like shirts and pants. I think beneath her sleeves you can see old faded tattoos along her arms, and she has grey hair tied back from her eyes. I think she used to be one of the fishers, who went out onto the royal before she did this this work. And I think you can see that in her, and like in the muscle that she still obviously has and in some of the scars that are faded on her face. I think one last detail is uh, she has a long tail, and I think that's wrapped around the, the chair and kind of comes out on one side of it. It's kind of moving all the while while she talks to you. And she looks at you both and goes, please, take a seat. I will do so. Do you mind if I stand? Uh, she shrugs. Suit yourself. Sorry I didn't get anything to drink. Oh, you, you've got something? Oh yeah, my squash. I'm going to tip my fancy cup in her direction, but... Oh, yeah, we're good, Tar. She leans forward, placing both elbows on table and interlocks her fingers and looks at you both and goes, This won't take long, but we've got a job for you. You two, the jubilant, maybe, whoever you can round up. Never heard of him. But I'm going to do a big wink. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was going to actually laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> I think Lena laughs too. In a couple of days, as you know, it's going to be Hullin. You might have heard, but we're planning to strike... Many of the factories up in Calvary are with us. People's Ward of Atrium is going to go out. And, well, brought you here for a couple of things, really. First of all, 
I wanted to know, Ivar, whether we can count on Tails End support. Will you march with us? Well, I can ask around, but uh, I don't see why not. There used to be people here too, and I think they still support the cause. Well, you might be interested. Uh, you might be interested in the second part. So, the job we've got for you is, as you might have heard, there's going to be an election on that day. They're going to try and elect a new warden for Holm. We know we're not going to stop him. None of us here have a vote, but we thought we'd do something sneaky and break into the building where the vote's taking place and hold our own election. We're going to hold an election for someone to be the new warden of the new People's Ward of Atrium. And to do it, I think we're going to need both of your help. You had me at breaking in. You did lose me again at voting, I'm not going to lie, because it's a lot of shite, but... But I reckon my mum would like to vote, <laughs> if she had chance. So, go on then. For my mum, mind. Not for voting. <laughs> she smiles, because... I imagine that's a lot of the argument that her and Nilcat had around the intent of this. So I think just to like pull back, I imagine voting in Embrace is only the very rich and landed get a vote, and universal suffrage is definitely not a thing. Yeah, I think Ezra is not necessarily against the concept of voting so much as Ezra was really pleased that Atrium is doing their own thing, like the People's Ward is its own thing, and I don't think they want it to be tied in in any way to Embrace's government. Yeah, yeah. But also, they do love their ma'am, so... Yeah. And I think Lena breaks down a bunch of this stuff for you, and I think a lot of it is about how the aim of this action, I think, is is essentially to be a protest vote, because they're not voting in the same election as Holm, which is the great award that Atrium is normally a part of. They're trying to talk about Atrium's independence, but also talk about, hey, everyone should get a vote, right? At least that's Lena's view on this. Nilcat would probably have a different point of view. Um, But then, yeah, I think she breaks down what the score is. So the location where the vote is going to take place is a building called the Arad Chambers which is a grand building within the central ward of Embrace. Sort of like the governing ward, which is called Marrow Ward. And this is your normal hunting ground. This is in a building which is where you normally do a lot of your anti-corruption work and a lot of your scores. And essentially, the protest is going to be going alongside it, and what they want you to do is find a way to either break in or distract the guards so that other people within the protest can storm the building. Does that all make sense? Are we breaking in as the voting is taking place or beforehand? I think as the voting is taking place. Okay. This is a kind of storm the castle situation. Yeah. So I think the strike is happening in a couple of days' time in the protest, and it's happening during a festival called Hulling, which is a festival that celebrates uh, Oaken's killing of the Envoy of Coral, the Ochre Hull, which happened in our Skeletons episode. And part of the reason the strike is happening on this day is that it used to be a work holiday, and people would have the day off, and they would look after the things around them, and fix things up and rebuild and repair, and then spend the evening having big carnival-like celebrations. But over the last century, I think that's kind of died down to the point where a lot of people have to work. 
and part of the strike, part of what is driving the strike is people going, actually, no, I want to, I want to go out and celebrate during this day. And I think the election is happening on the same day, and that will be happening all day, from morning till dusk. And I imagine that you're being asked to break in sort of in the middle of the afternoon. So it will have been happening in the morning, but they just want one big symbolic moment where the guards are out of the way and the protest, the march can rush in and everyone can spoil the ballot or offer dummy votes or whatever. I reckon big symbolic action is in our wheelhouse. I think she looks at you both and is like, can I count on you? I think uh, Ivor looks at Ezra and just goes, uh, right, we are then. Uh, Let's be off then. I think Lena says, thank you. And Ivar, I hope you understand that when we work for Atrium's right to exist, we work for Tail End's right to exist. We fight them together. Is there a, a symbol or an action that is sort of like revolutionary. Ooh. I hadn't thought about that. No, me either until this moment, but it feel makes sense that she would do that. That's a lot of power to give us to. Yeah. We're deciding it for everyone else. No dabbing. <laughs> <laughs> and then Lena solemnly dabs at you. <laughs> the revolutionary floss. Fuck, those are both really good. What I was going to suggest now is not as cool. But better, I imagine. Maybe. Um, I like the idea of, you know, if you make little crab hands, you can, like, touch fingertips with one inside the other and, like, lock your hands together. Like two chain links. Yes. I like the idea of, like, something like that, something, like, linked to the factories and the the fisheries and everything, but sort of kind of implying unity and, and strength together. Yeah, I really like that, because I like the fact that it's both a thing you can do yourself. And I think that's what she does in a minute, and she links her hands together and, like, pulls. But it's also a thing you can do with other people. Yeah. But yeah, she, she makes that symbol and nods to you. I um, I really appreciate that, Lena. Thank you. Does anyone have any more questions at this stage for Lena? I mean, I feel like we probably have a lot of very boring questions for Lena about like how many people will be coming to vote and how long do you need and what time to start and stuff. But I don't feel like that has to happen like on screen. No, definitely not. We can flash back as much as we like and work stuff out. So is there anything that anyone wants to do before the day? Or do we just cut to the protest? Let's do it. That's what flashbacks are for, baby. Yeah. Do you have any idea of how you're approaching this? Or are you you joining the protest, I guess, is my main question here? So I'm happy to negotiate this with you, Ryan, but my feeling is being at the forefront of the protest is probably the best way for us to get there. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of in my head trying to see if I could even think of a way to make it, like, quiet and stealth, but no, this is loud and there. We literally kicking the doors down to this place is the only way I can see us getting in there. So I think we open with a shot of the protest marching through the streets of Marrow Ward. I think unlike the rest of Embrace, the streets here are wide. They are well maintained. They're bright and clean. 
And I think the protest makes its way slowly through them to the the hill at the center of embrace where the main temple in the city is, because I, I imagine that's their eventual destination. I think a lot of people have turned out. I think if we could see this from the air, there's like a long line of people wrapped back towards, I imagine, Atrium and Calvary Ward, where people are kind of joining the rear of this. Do you have any thoughts about what the protest looks like or sounds like? It feels almost like it would be a weaponized version of the regular celebration that would have gone on in the evening of Hulling, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So one of the thoughts I had about how that might look is I imagine people carrying bits of coral, because I think this envoy that came, the Oka Hull, was formed of coral and I think still exists in the island in Embraces Bay. Can I can I suggest maybe not lots of people holding coral, lots of people dressed as like fish and sea creatures being herded around by one person in a comically large coral costume? Yes, yes. <laughs> like like fleeing the coral. And if it meets another coral, they have to do like a big stage theatrical dance off or something, you know, like those kinds of weird traditional festivities. So is this very like carnivalesque? Is there music? Yeah, I think so. So we've spoken a little bit about like Ezra's vice being the street musician. Is is Ezra involved in the music here? <laughs> Probably not. I think Ezra plays like an instrument equivalent to kind of a double bass, mm. which is quite unwieldy for marching and also for kicking the doors of a building down. That's fair. But they're probably singing. Mm. They're probably singing along. We've spoken a bit like off screen about what Embrace's folk music is like. Do you have any thoughts about what it sounds like as, as this is taking place? I kind of imagine it to be something similar to... The music in, say, like New Orleans, the uh, like second line band, something that can be played whilst walking or marching or dancing, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Was it lots of strings that was the thing as well? I think we said like lots of strings and drums. Perhaps it just is all together, like basically kind of like a marching band-esque style stuff. Yeah, I think we, we spoke about people in Atrium getting together with just everyone brings an instrument and sings. And it's lots of like overlapping music, a bit like the labyrinth in some ways. You were talking about like music that reverses against each other, weren't you, friend, or something like that? Yeah, this is a bit outside the remit of this score, but I'm going to talk about it because I want to. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, I want to paint the scene. I imagine like really traditional formalist kind of music in Embrace I'm picturing as like the orchestras come in kind of seven parts, like a traditional seven part like recursive labyrinth design. So you would have seven sections of like the same instrument that start from the same point and then they play the motif kind of in different directions as though they are traveling through the separate paths of a labyrinth. They Like each section of the orchestra does the same thing in a different direction, like through a different scale or goes up rather than down or whatever um and then they kind of all meet and end at the same time so for like a marching band it's probably not that strict i like the idea that this protest as it moves through the streets has so many different sections because it is this half carnival and there are probably segments of it that feel very carnivalesque and it's almost drawing people in that don't know what this is they're just passing by and like oh this looks like fun and then you get sections that are lots of people 
carrying like hand embroidered banners and i think it's like a bit of a mess of motives but in a really good way but yeah i think you eventually get towards arad house where the election is taking place i think like a lot of the buildings you've gone past especially in this area of the city as you get close you see them start to move to like batten down the hatches and close the doors and guards are definitely coming to stand by them what what's your approach what are you doing I think we're sort of trying to get the crowd riled up and we're marching right up to that door and going through it. Okay. How many of my uh, my little monkey hand doodle dads could I conceivably have kind of smuggled in with me? I mean, you tell me. I would like to have given some to other people at the forefront of the protest, who I imagine are other radicals, right? I think probably Nilcat and some of the Ginnels are with you. Okay. Through Nilka, I could have distributed a couple of these through the ginnels. I kind of want to clamp the doors the same way I clamped, like, the wheels of the carts. And I think if I've given... If I'd brought, like, four, like, two for each big door, one at the top and one at the bottom, I could have one, Nilka could have one, and then we'd need two other volunteers, two other ginnels. And I could have given them the basic instructions as to how to activate the thing. Because I think because they're mostly made from wood and metal and leather they could have just looked like a drum so are you trying to do this before the doors are closed or yes okay so i think as the protest approaches they begin to start to close up i think there were maybe a couple of guards on the outside that you can see and there are definitely some on the inside but you can't tell as many and they start to to shut the doors tight i think this is where you make your engagement role to see what position we start this scoring so what does this look like? Are you just rushing? Um, I think, yeah, Ezra, Nilka, and the two other nameless door helpers will definitely be rushing. I don't know what your plan is, Ivar. I'm kind of just thinking, uh, you know, the, he's he's got them so worked up that he's literally going to shout charge and everyone's going in. <laughs> so I think part of your job here is that there's going to be security and your aim is to, like, clear that first. We certainly could have, like, placed some pretty hardy people at the front of the protest as well, right? Yeah. I think there's definitely space for that charge to be about taking out these guards. Because that feels like the first obstacle. The first obstacle seems to be taking out these two guards on the door and stopping the doors from closing. Okay, well then, maybe it's time I introduced my little friend. <laughs> Who's your little friend? So I have... A companion who is a small, well, I say small, about the size of a medium-sized dog, like a Labrador or something like that. <laughs> that is, I'd say, part dog, part bat. And she's called Topaz. And she is what I imagine to be, you know how uh, baby bats look incredibly cute? That crossed with like a black Labrador but with sort of the f the front legs being bent up wings that they kind of walk on and that they, they can obviously take flight if they need to. She's alive, right? Yes. Okay. I think Ivar had Topaz as a pet when he was alive and that she's still around now even though he's dead. So how is Topaz helping? You said there was just two guards, right? Yeah, on the outside. 
Ivar's going to get Topaz to go after one for distraction whilst he takes care of the other. Okay. Oh, the two other people that are with Nilcat, by the way, are called Oxbow and Foible, just to name them. Oxbow is a fantastic name. Oxbow's a top-notch <laughs> name. I don't know whether they're, like, their actual names or pseudonyms. What, what's the word? Let's do an engagement roll. Let's do an engagement roll. So, the way this works, just to remind people, is you choose one of the methods of engagement, and then you choose a detail for it. So the methods of engagement are assault, deception, stealth, occult, social, and transport. <laughs> this is a straight-up assault. Assault is do violence to a target. The detail is the point of attack. So the point of attack is the doors? Did you just say you're aiming for the doors? Are you aiming for any other locations? I think I think the doors is the easiest way to get a vast number of people in quickly. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so for an engagement roll, you start with one dice for sheer luck. Is this operation particularly bold or daring? If it is, take plus one dice. I think it is. Is it overly complex or contingent on many factors? I don't think it is. No. Um, does it expose a vulnerability of the target or hit them where they're the weakest? No, I don't think so. Um, can any of your friends or contacts provide aid or insight for this operation? I think Nilcat and the Ginnels are helping you. And you've got like 10,000 protesters behind you. Are any enemies or rivals interfering in the operation? They are. Take minus 1d. So you started with one D for Sherlock, plus one because it's bold or daring, and I think that's it, because the friends or contacts and enemies and rivals cancel each other out, so you get 2D. Do you want to engage us, Ryan? It's alright. It's alright? Yeah. Got a five. So you rolled a five, which means that you're in a risky position when the action starts. So I think how this looks is... You all rush forward. I think you definitely manage to take out the guards, the two outside, before anything else happens. What does that look like? Uh, paint me what this looks like, Ivar. How ruthless are you? I think that um, Topaz would just like rush one and like pounce on them and push them to the ground. So sort of pinning them down? Yeah, and I think that um, Ivar would probably go for a shot to the leg or something like that with a pistol. Yeah. I imagine that these two guards are just sort of forcibly moved along once they're disabled. Yeah, they're sort of shuffled away. Yeah. Time to go on, boys. I think where this becomes risky is Ezra, you run towards the door to get these clamps on. What do the clamps look like? How do they work? They're basically just a lot of legs on kind of a central column. And they scuttle like horrible crabs. How are they keeping the door open? So they basically latch around something and hold on. Yeah. So I'm imagining they're trying to wedge themselves under the bottom of the door and like along the top of it near the hinge and then clamp. I feel like we're probably throwing them at the doors to get them there faster. I think you rush the doors, the four of you, and... Maybe two of them clamp on, but I think there are guards pushing the doors and they can't quite hold them back. They'll need at least another one there to, to stop it. But I think as one of them scuttles, it gets hit by a crossbow bolt. And I think it'll still work as a clamp, but I think 
you're going to have to put it into position yourself. Oof. Yep. All right, then. Yeah, Ezra kind of quite low to the ground is running for the door, scoops up the the scuttler that got shot on the way and is going to manually try and jam this thing in. Okay, this will be an action roll. So your goal is to get a clamp on the door? What skill would you like to use? This is probably... I'm going to say a finesse because it's doing... It's not an on-the-fly fix exactly, it's just having to know how the mechanism moves to get it in place properly so it can clamp. Yeah. I'm trying to work out whether there is an action before you do that, which is getting to the door, but... No, Oxbow and Foible have got me. They got my back. So I think finesse is going to be risky standard. So you can push yourself to add plus one dice or give you yourself improved effect. Um, or you could take a devil's bargain. What would the, what would the devil's bargain be here to make sure I can get these doors open for a significant amount of time? Um, I think Oxbow gets hit by a crossbow bolt. Oh. <laughs> I think the devil's bargain is Oxbow and Foible are trying to distract the guards and one of them gets hit. We talking mortally wounded here, or...? No, I think just wounded. But I think it would remove them from this action. I'm going to take it. Okay. Sorry, Oxbow. So one bonus dice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good job. I took that devil's bargain. What did you roll? A two and a five. So on a five, you do it, but there's a consequence. You suffer harm, a complication occurs, you have reduced effect, you end up in a desperate position. So yeah, I think you and Nilcat rush forward. Nilcat rushes to hold one of the doors open, while you get into position to clamp the other one to, to keep it open, to hold it in place. And I think it works. You, you manage to get a clamp in place on the door, but I think the moment you do it, you look up. And you look up into the foyer of this building. Do you have any thought about what this building looks like? Kind of imagine like a, almost like a town hall kind of deal. Some columns maybe outside. Sort of a big, large doors to get in. But after that, kind of mundane on the inside. Yeah. I imagine this first chamber maybe feels very open and grand, but anything coming off it is smaller. Like, there's definitely, we can take up space, so we're taking up space. Yes. I like to imagine a lot of the fancy buildings in Embrace have that kind of labyrinth motif that the music has as well. Yeah, so like, this is almost a circular room with some kind of labyrinth on the floor, on the ceiling. Is that what you're saying? Ooh, I like on the ceiling, yeah. I also like the image of this looking a little bit like how you'd imagine a classical building but everything also being very angular, so all of the columns are quite square and sharp. But yeah, I think you look out into this atrium with this domed roof that has an image of a labyrinth over the top of it. And I think it's a big open space with rooms trailing off to either side. And I think as you look up, you see a group of guards, maybe three or four that you can see, and they have crossbows. As you stand there, all four of them take aim at you 
I think Nilcat is shielded by the door, but you are in the open. What do you do? Ooh, do you know what? I'm gonna... I'm gonna smoke bomb. Oh yeah, I guess we should set load for you both. I have gone normal. And Ivar, what load are you going? Uh, Ivar is going canonically light. I don't know whether we did this last mission, but each mission you get to set a load. And that essentially describes how much gear you're carrying and how you appear. So light is, you probably appear like a normal civilian on the street. Normal people would maybe give you a second glance. Heavy means you're tooled up for action and people wouldn't suspect that you're doing anything other than looking for trouble. But essentially it gives you an amount of load and you can spend load during the score to to add items. So you don't have to choose what you've got before the score, you can add them as you go along. So you've got a smoke bomb. Well, maybe. I'm going to offer you two options. And you, you tell me which we can go for. The first is a kind of general physical smoke bomb situation in that Ezra has made or bought something mm. that will produce a large amount of smoke. The second option is Ezra's constantly leaking spirit looks quite a lot like smoke. There isn't a lot of it most of the time, but what if there could be some of the time? I'm into either of those. Is a smoke bomb an item you have on your sheet? It is not. I can have arcane implements, which I feel like I could conceivably argue a smoke bomb into arcane implements. Mm. Ooh, what if this is halfway between those two things that I just described? Okay. And my smoke bomb is, over a long period of time, Ezra has been storing excess spirit leak just in a big bottle. Have you been capturing your own essence again? <laughs> Don't judge me. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. So it's a desperate action that you're on. I think if this is... Are we using a flashback to set this up? How does Ezra do this? I think this was probably a failed experiment from Ezra to see if they could stop constantly leaking spirit. If they could stop whatever thing it was that they accidentally made bad when they were practicing binding and not really getting anywhere with that but they did find that they could like move it about between their palms a little bit like a fun parlor trick and so occasionally they would just like put some in a vial and be like haha neat but that was sort of as far as they got with it and eventually they gave up trying to fix it and were just like mm, smoke a lot of cigarettes anyway so this is fine Okay, so for a flashback, it will cost you stress. Either zero stress for an ordinary action in which you had easy opportunity, or one stress for a complex or unlikely opportunity. I guess this is just ordinary. I mean, I'm happy for you to argue either way. I, I, it feels like something fairly ordinary. So your goal is to avoid being shot, I guess, and obscure yourself? Yes, absolutely. So what action would you like to use? Uh, I feel like maybe this is a tune. Yeah, I was going to say it could probably be a tune. Because I feel like I'm I'm smashing the bottle and then trying to actively encourage my own spirit to really just fill the room. Yes, that makes sense to me. So that is desperate. Oh, I get XP for desperate, right? Yeah, you do. Um, So this is desperate, Ooh. I think standard. Okay. 
you can push yourself to add a dice or the effect level. You could take a devil's bargain. Someone else could spend XP to help you. Ivar, are you doing anything to help in this situation? It doesn't have to be the smoke bomb. It could be taking away fire. I'm not sure if I'm there yet. Ivar's just done the guards and um, Ezra's just got the doors open. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I'm already on three stress. Hmm. But it's also a desperate action. What would a devil's bargain look like here? Um... Would it physically, like, tire Ezra out? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Maybe it is that you suffer harm? That makes sense. You can put a little bit more of yourself into this and suffer a level one harm. Like getting really lightheaded? Yeah, lightheaded is a good one. Yeah, let's go for that. So the way harm works in Blades and Dark is there are three different levels, or four different levels. Level one is the lightest, which means you get less effect on anything where it might affect it. So lightheaded might be running in place or trying to stay conscious or anything like that. You get minus one dice for level two harm, and at level three harm you need help. Level four harm, you are dead or out of action. That's a six, baby. Nice. Worth it. So on a six, you do it. So what does this look like? I mean, I want to say something cool, but it, lo- it looks like a smoke bomb. <laughs> I think it just looks like a regular smoke bomb. But it conveniently is kind of covering all the areas I specifically wanted it to cover. And then Ezra, especially because this is going to be like such a head rush, I think literally is rolling out of the line of fire, like just rolling across the floor behind a pillar. Are you going into the room or out of the room? I'm going to go into the room because that is our eventual goal. Yeah. So I might as well just get that over with. Yeah. And maybe one or two crossbow bolts sort of ping alongside you, but they miss. I think Nilcat manages to also get into cover because he was by the door as well. But I don't think anyone else does. Going to give Nilcat a very shaky thumbs up. Okay. Um, so Ivar... I think you are outside the building. The guards have been dealt with. I think you've been watching and have a good sense of what was happening. You've seen Oxbow take a crossbow bolt to the shoulder and just stagger away into cover by the side of the building. But Ezra and Nilcat are in the room, and I think Foible is by one of the doors. Uh, what are you doing? I think that um, Ivar would have sort of whistled for Topaz to come and we would have um, pushed into the room as quick as possible, taking advantage of it. Okay, and what are you trying to do once you're in there? I think just trying to push towards where we might think the room where the voting might be taking place. Yeah, um, I think from this central space, there is maybe... A couple of stairs that go up to the higher floors of the building. Maybe a couple of rooms that go off to either side, which are probably offices, but the main voting space seems to be straight ahead. There's probably even a sign that just says voting with an arrow. And I think the four guards that are in this room, one is stood on the balcony above, and the other three are stood by the door into that room. Uh, Well, since he's just seen... Oxbow gets shot, I think he's going to go and try and take a pot shot at the uh, one up on the balcony. Okay. 
So what would you like to roll? So I think normally shoot is hunt. All right. Well, then I'll roll the hunt. So what position am I in? Risky? Yeah, I think this is risky standard again. Okay. Uh, do you want to add any bonus dice, get assistance, have a devil's bargain or push yourself? No, I think I'm going to just try it. Ivar's going to just give it a shot. Literally. Oof. Got a three. Oh, Ivar. Okay. Um, on a three, things go badly. You suffer harm, a complication occurs, you end up in a desperate position, or you lose this opportunity. I'm trying to work out whether these guards can harm you. I don't think they can, because I don't think they've got anything that would deal with spirits. So I think what I'm going to do is, I think the thing that goes badly is that alarm gets raised. Oh man. Yeah, they already had one on from just the the general rushing, and I think this ticks it those extra steps to raise it. I feel like we were probably expecting an alarm to be raised pretty quickly, in fairness. We were not subtle. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so I, I think you fire you fire up at this guard, um, and I think you hit the stone balcony as she as she kind of ducks. And I think she stays ducked. And I think the rest of the guards have also hidden behind cover. And there's this standoff moment where everyone's waiting to see what will happen next. And in that moment, I think three figures walk up onto the balcony. And these three figures are dressed like how you'd imagine clerks, bureaucrats and office workers and officials. They're wearing tight trousers with ruffled shoulders and they're wearing, I think, fancy hats and everything looks a little bit well-to-do. You recognise one of them, one of them with buzzing wings behind their back, as Pines Malt. And they are one of the the syndics, one of the factions that you're rivals with. And you imagine that all three of these are part of the syndics. They do, like, political scandal, right? Yeah, they do, like, political scandal and corruption and all of that sort of stuff. And if they're here you would assume that they're doing something of the kind in this building. I think as they walk onto the balcony, they draw thin weapons from nowhere. Two of them draw thin daggers or swords. One of them is probably definitely a sword cane. And another, I think the one with the buzzing wings, draws one of the spirit pistols and begins firing. Of course they've got a sword cane. Yeah, one of them's got like two stilettos, one of them's got a sword cane, and the other one has a spirit pistol. So, yeah, what is everyone doing? Those three are in front of us, right? Or did they come out on the balcony above? I think I said balcony initially, but actually I think they probably come through the double doors from the voting room. I think that's probably where they've been. So yeah, they're in front of you. I think there's the three guards and these three in front of you, and... The one on the balcony. I think Ivar might be going for a bit of encouragement here. Just in a sense to try and get us back on track. I don't think it's going to be much. I'm thinking literally along the lines of, right, pals, time to vote. Let's go. (laughs) And just sort of (laughs) pointing towards the door. 
sort of leading us in. Are you just running towards the door, or...? I think I'm going to try and do a, uh, like, a running charge, almost like to do a big shoulder charge into one of them as I'm going towards the door. Who are you targeting? Um, I'm imagining the one with the ghost gun, the spirit gun. Okay. Because I feel, you know, it's the only one that can get me. I'm going to lever myself up off the floor and join in on this action. I'm, I'm going for sword cane. Okay. This sounds like a group action then, with Ivar leading. So when you roll a group action, everyone rolls their dice, and you take the highest single dice. And for any character that fails, the leader will gain stress. So what is everyone using? Kind of seeing this as a command. Yeah. I think command makes sense, because then that can reflect you leading other people in. Both Nilka and Foible, but I imagine another couple of revolutionaries have come in as well. I've got zero in command, so let's do this. Who are you targeting? Are you targeting the syndics or the guards? The syndic had the spirit gun, right? Yes. So yeah, I'm going for them. Okay. Um, so I think this is risky standard again. That seems generous, but yes. As you know, I think, I think this is risky limited. Okay. Because I think you're outnumbered here. I think there is a small gang of you, but I think there's a few more of them. Um, so do you want to push yourself to make that a risky standard? Do you want to give yourself extra dice? Do you want to accept a devil's bargain? I'd definitely be interested in the devil's bargain, I think, here. Okay. And Fryn, are you taking one, or...? I mean, I'm two for two on Devil's Bargain so far, but show me what you got. I think the Devil's Bargain here is is for each of you the same, which is I get to put a tick on a clock called Office Closes. They manage to shut up the election and shut up shop before you get there. It's an eight-step clock, so you'd be putting two ticks on that. I'm going to take that bargain. I'm going to risk it without. Okay. Because Ezra is lightheaded and making poor choices. Mm. I got a four. I got a two. (laughs) Okay, so what happens is, Ivar, you're going to take one stress, but your action basically succeeds. So I think what this means in this situation is, The four of you charge forward and get into striking distance of your opponents. I think, Ivar, you shoulder charge this person. Are you spending the stress you need to do to make that physical? Or are you just getting in range and spend that I think spend that after. And I think, Ezra, you manage to get close to this person with a sword and you have their attention. Oh, no. (laughs) Didn't think that through. I think the consequence is, as you're running in, Ivar, you take level two harm shot. You get hit by the spirit gun. Maybe the harm is, like, drained. It's up to you whether you want to resist that. Ooh, I... I don't think I can right now. Well, I, I could, but it'd be put, get me pretty high up on my... On your stress. Okay. Uh, so you take it. 
I think the sort of lightning-like shot hits you in the shoulder and arcs down one of your arms, and I think it's noticeably faded. I think when you go to use it, it's harder to use. You could also spend armor if you've got points for that. Um. Yeah. Okay. I'll take two in armor. What What does your armor look like in this situation? What does armor mean for a ghost? I'm trying to think how it would even work for a ghost. You could just be wearing real clothes over your clothes, or it could be some sort of not liquid, but something like that you put on yourself. It could be something that a binder does to you. I make haunted machines, Ryan. Could I interest you in a haunted machine? Ivor is very interested in a haunted machine. Please tell me more. <laughs> um, I feel yeah, I feel like it would be conceivable for me to have made something Ivar can kind of slip into. Like plating almost. Yeah, like I'm picturing it as like fish scale plating, kind of like the protective gear Ezra wears, but specifically made to be kind of almost spirit magnetic, like easier for a spirit to wear than regular clothes. Like you shouldn't have to think about it too much. That makes sense. So I think the shot sizzles through it and you instead take the level one harm. Sizzled? Okie dokie. I leave it up to you as to what this armor looks like in terms of a garment. I imagine it's kind of just like a... um... Like a long glove, almost? Like braces? Like archer's braces, kind of? Yeah, that seems to make sense. Nice. So I think you rush into range of the syndics and the guards. I think the guards, from what you've seen, look less infused. I think Nilka is engaged with Lest. Syndic was... I think Foible is throwing stuff at the guards to keep them distracted. I think in this chaos, a couple of other protesters have also reached the room. Ezra, you rush into range of of the one with the long sword, who I think is called Calter Need, and they are wearing sort of a long suit jacket with tails and a popped collar, and they have almost like a fish fin like head going backwards. Mm-hmm. How how are you approaching? Is this like a trained run of someone who's used to combat, or does it look different to that? <laughs> no, it's more like a like a rugby tackle from a dad who plays rugby on a weekend once a month. Ezra is strong because of the work that they do, but they're not like trained for fighting. I think Keltonide is pushed backwards into the wall, and as you write yourself. Kelter pulls away to put a little bit of distance between you and sort of waggles this blade in front of you and takes up almost like a jeweler's stance and does like a little bow and goes, on guard! Okay, Ezra does laugh at that, first of all. How how fine is this blade? Very. Like it's a thin... It's like a rapier. I'm going to say that one of my load is taken up with my protective suit. Okay. Which is Ezra's work gear, which is kind of thick, heavy thigh aprons and shoulder pieces, like a chest piece and gloves made from really 
heavy duty fish scales. Mm. And Ezra is gonna, in one massive thick glove, just grab the end of the sword, praying that this isn't the worst idea they've ever had, and just be like, the best not, lad. And then try and just like bend his stupid sword. Uh, what would you like to roll? It could be a skirmish. Yeah, I think wreck or skirmish, or I could even see it being command. I think it's skirmish. Okay, I think this is going to be risky standard again. I think it would be great because you've got the suit, but I think because you're light-headed, the effect goes down. Do you want to add any bonus dice, uh, push yourself, take a devil's bargain? I am, um, I'm only on three stress. I might take the stress to push myself because I really need this to work. Partially because I don't want to get stabbed and partially because I just kind of grandstanded a bit and I don't want to look like an idiot. Yeah. That's a six. Nice. Uh, You do what you set out to do. So you grab it and you snap the blade. Get bent. I think that's going to add two ticks to the clock, which I started, which is removing these syndics. So you've got three steps of that filled at the minute. And I think, I think Kelta need, as you laugh and as you snap their blade just looks aghast and i think they step back and just drop the handle of their sword to the floor they look a bit disheartened this probably cost them like a load of money and raise their hands up i think i'm just gonna point one chunky gloved fingers out the door and bark like out at them i think they're a little bit hesitant but i think they they leave i think they're kind of pushed out as they get closer to the protesters so Ivar, I think you rush in, this bullet glances off your armour, and you find yourself face to face with Pine's Malt, who seems to be leading this group of syndics. What are you doing? Um, what is Ivar doing? <laughs> this seems really stupid, but I kind of don't want to fight this person. In a way, I want to kind of get on with it and get it done sort of thing, you know? Yeah. So I kind of just want to um, maybe even embarrass them a bit and just get Topaz to go around behind them and get them to, like, push them over them. (laughs) Okay. So I'm not really sure how that would work. Maybe it's something that I've practiced with Topaz, like a training thing. Is there a thing you say to make Topaz do this? Oh, what would it be? <laughs> I think, confusingly, it's going to be something like sit or something that's <laughs> like a really mundane. <laughs> I like the idea that it's sit so that your opponent doesn't know what you're doing. Yeah. So I think um, Ivor just goes, right, sit, girl. And then uh, Topaz would rush around behind them and be ready to push. Okay, what would you like to roll? I mean, command again seems good, but... Yeah, command or skirmish. Yeah, I'm happy for either, but yeah, yeah, command seems to make sense. And are you using your poltergeist to do this? Which is take one drain to strongly interact with the physical world? Yeah, I think I'm going to have to cool. to sort of overcome... Being a bit sizzled as well. Yeah. So I think this is risky standard as normal. You could take two drain to make that risky great if you wanted. No, I think risky standard is fine. 
So the difference between effect level on clocks is limited will tick one clock, segment, standard is two, great is three. A five. Okay, so you do it, but there's a consequence. Do you push uh, malt over? Yeah, 100%. Cool. Just straight over on his ass. Okay, I think Malt goes straight over, lands on the floor, and his gun slides from his grip. It's time for another one of those keywords. Fetch. <laughs> um, so you're going to tick two steps on the Syndic's removed clock. But I think the consequence is I'm also going to tick the office closes clock two more times, because I think this is all taking up a bit of time. I think the thing that happens as Pine's malt falls to the floor is that the doors to the voting room open and a person walks out. And I think you instantly recognise this person because their face is on some of the posters that have been around Home Ward and probably in this building. It's one of the candidates for election called Parsib Nim Corvanus. And they are tall with long heron-like legs. And they're wearing many layers of false, distressed black lace dresses. And he sort of struts into this room, places both hands on his hips, and says, What the bloody hell is happening in here? You all should be ashamed of yourselves. There's an election going on in here. I want to throw something at him. Foible probably has a sack. Full of just different things to throw. I'm going to throw a fruit at him. Foible has a fruit. I'm going to throw a squash fruit. I don't even think you have to ask. Foible has a fruit held out I just hold my hand out and there's already a fruit there waiting. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know whether this is a roll. It hits him in the face. I think he's mid tirade and it hits him right in the face on like the right hand side of his jaw. And... I think he he snaps to look at you and say something to you, but probably sees that you've now got a second object in your hand and just shrinks back behind the door, like cowed. Gior, mate, we're here for voting. <laughs> I I think um, I think everyone has kind of stopped and looked around in sort of bewilderment as that happened, and then the fight is rejoined. I'm just going to do a fortune roll, actually. So I think the syndics are wavering. Calter Need is gone, the one with the long sword cane. Pine's malt is on the floor, his gun out of his hand. And the last one of the two daggers is backing up towards the door as Nilcat advances on him. I mean, the guards themselves are embroiled with the other protesters. There's maybe only a couple left. Maybe the one on the balcony is taking pot shots at the protesters down below. I think the rest of the guards have probably lowered their weapons or have fled the building. I think there's a real sense that, you know, they're not paid enough to risk themselves for this. So yeah, there are only a couple of syndics left to deal with. Uh, What are you doing? Which ones are left? Pine's Malt, who's on the floor, gun out of his hand, and there is Nimrif, who is the last one of the two daggers, fighting Nilka at the minute. I think Nilcat keeps trying to advance, and Nimrif is, like, slashing wildly at him. Guns seems like Ivar's department, so I'm gonna go help Nilcat. Okay, and how are you doing that? I think I'm 
gonna throw another piece of fruit at this syndic. Just trying to like get his attention. Is this trying to distract him so Nilcat can land the punch? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you want to roll? Uh, I'm I'm gonna go skirmish again because this feels like an I'm not you know taking a fine shot. I'm just brewing some fruit into the corner. Yeah, and this could be like multiple shots as well. You could miss and just throw another one. Um, I think this is controlled standard, in all honesty. Okay. I don't think there's any real risk here to you. I should hope not. I'm not going to use a bonus dice on this one or a devil's bargain. I don't feel like it's worth it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> what did you get? That's a one. Okay. Um, so on a one, you falter. You can press on by seizing a risky opportunity or withdraw and try a different approach. So I think as you're throwing this fruit, you miss a couple of times hitting the door to the side of this syndic's head. And almost without looking at you, he tosses out a dagger and it pings into the wall, not far from from your shoulder. So you can continue throwing fruit, but you're going to get daggers throwing back at you. Let's go in for tackle number two to try and take him out by the ankles. Okay. Um, so this sounds like you're pressing on by seizing a risky opportunity. What would you like to roll? I am seizing a risky opportunity. Um, and once again, that feels like a skirmish. Okay. Uh, risky standard. That's a three. Oh. You didn't want no oh. bonus dice on that. Okay. Um, so... On one to three, things go badly. You suffer harm, a complication occurs, you end up in a desperate position, you lose this opportunity. Yikes. Yeah, I. you go careening into Nilcat, and you both end up on the floor. This isn't how I pictured it happening. <laughs> it, yeah, I think you're both in a tangle together as uh, the Syndic reaches over you. And like steps towards you and goes to just stab into you. Ivar, what are you doing in this moment? The syndic is on the floor and I think is reaching for his gun? Oh well, can't be having that can we? I think Ivar's gonna try and rush past him and just boot his gun off into the distance. Um, You kick the gun away and I think you're stood over him. Topaz is next to you. Does Topaz growl? What noises does Topaz make? Um, I think Topaz can growl, but it just sounds like a really deep, repetitive clicking noise, almost like the the sort of echolocation that the bats do. Okay, I think I think Topaz does that. And I think that, uh, yeah, I'm stood over him and I say, "You don't need that to vote, do you? I would have brought more." He scowls at you. You're going to leave with your other friend, or what? Are you threatening him? Are you doing anything to make yourself menacing, or are you just talking? No, I'm just talking right now. I don't think it needs a threaten. I've I've already done him over. Um, He laughs. He laughs, and you follow his gaze, and he is looking at his friend who is about to stick a dagger into Ezra. Ezra, what are you doing? Yikes! I'm gonna kick him. Just gonna kick up. Okay. Proffer unto me your devil's bargains. 
Um, I would like to start a second alarm clock, and I'll start it with two ticks. It's a six-step clock. Mm. I could take two stress, but then I'd be two away from trauma. I guess we're doing it. Not two ticks? Nope. No more alarms, please. Okay. These people need to vote. The alarm is specifically that the ministers show up. The ministers are one of the uh, law branches in the city. Oh, no thank you. No, I'm gonna... I'm gonna take some stress. Okay, that makes sense. Um, does lightheaded come into effect here? I'm lying down, so... Maybe not, yeah. <laughs> That's a three. Ivar didn't help then. I'm not sure how I could have helped. You've got a gun. Got a gun, Ivar. Alright. Is it too late to do a help? Let's just roll with it. Rip Ezra. Okay. Yeah, one to three on uh, Desperate is the worst outcome. You suffer severe harm, a serious complication occurs, or you lose this opportunity for action. He stabs you. He stabs you right in the chest. And you take the level three harm bleeding out. Do you want to resist? Uh, yeah, how does resisting work? So you've got two options when it comes to harm. So you can spend armor if you've got it. Uh, yes. And you can also resist. So armor will take it down to a level two. You could also resist to take it down another level as well. So I'm in a protective suit. Uh, that's my special armor. And I have the machinist special ability. I may expend my special armor to reduce harm caused by weapons, machinery, or devices. Nice. So, yeah, you, you spent it, and it goes down to a level 2 harm. Okay. You described your protective suit as being thick layers of stuff, right? Yeah, like fish scales almost approaching, like, plates. I think it pushes it down to level 1. I think I'm okay with that. Okay. I think it's maybe the level 1 harm shook. So I think from Ivar's perspective, as you turn to follow what Pine's Malt is looking at, you see your friend get stabbed. But I think the blade just barely grazes Ezra. I think it goes into one of these scales and just gets stuck. And I think the level one harm is just, you're scared. Ezra, you, you thought that you were about to get stabbed. You thought you were a goner. Um, what are you both doing? I am going to shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Do you have one of the spirit guns? Is that what you're using? Yeah, I'm using my spirit gun, my pistol. Okay. And who are you shooting? Are you shooting uh, Nimrif? Yeah, the one that was trying to stab Ezra. Okay. Or are you using Hunt or Skirmish? Skirmish would be... Risky standard. Hunt is desperate standard, for sure. Uh, Hunt, because I seem he's a bit further away. I know we've been saying it all session, but I believe in myself now I'm going to do this. Please, please do this. <gasps> Double six, baby. So on a six, you do a critical. You do it with increased effects. This is uh, risky great. What does this look like? Can I shoot his spirit out of him? 
Yeah. I I kind of imagine how this sort of works, how spirit weapons sort of work, is they like burn up the spirit for a split second. The spirit almost goes backwards a bit behind the body and you see it burn up and his body just falls forward over Ezra. Um, so you're going to mark the five-step clock, which is Syndix removed. So they are gone. They are out of the equation. Um, Going to do another wobbly little thumbs up from the floor. I think that Ivor turns back round to the Pines Malt and just says, run. And I think that Ivor's, all his eyes have rotated round to the front now and looking directly at him. I think he goes to, like, say something, like, you know, snarky. Like, I think there's definitely that bit where he would say something like, this isn't over or something, but as soon as your eyes swivel round, his, like, the words die in his throat and he just runs. Like, his wings fire into action and he sort of, like, flies out of the building over the heads of the protesters who just kind of jeer and laugh. So, yeah. The the room is clear. The doors are ahead of you. Do you go in? What does this look like? I don't think that Ivar is keen to enter. I think he's more keen to encourage people to get in and to vote. Yeah, I think it, it would be the same for Ezra. They'll probably go in to make sure people are safe while they're voting. Yeah. I think we definitely get a shot of, like, Nilcat kicking in the door. Oh. <laughs> My hero. Um... Do you walk in with Nilcat? Yeah, a respectable distance behind Nilcat. Leaving room for Jesus after a little tumble on the floor. Okay, I think Nilcat strides into the middle of the room. I think the room is it's quite long and has like rows and rows of desks. I don't think this voting system has like voting booths or anything. I think you go in and you sit down with an official and you you sign a vote. So I think there are a bunch of desks with officials sat at them. There are like a few people who look quite fancy or who are well dressed kind of sat at them who who kind of like look around in shock. And like Nilcat walks into the centre room and is like Now then, these fine people here have come to vote. And you're gonna let them. And yeah, I think they filter in. One by one the the protesters start to come into the room and start to to sit opposite uh some of the officials and clerks. Ezra is going to go and stand behind the most kind of prominently placed clerk, like the clerk every other clerk can see in the room, just kind of looming behind them. Yeah, I think there's someone stood at one end of the room on like a slightly raised bit, um, and they're the overseeing officer. I think you would recognise them as an official called Status Raglan. They're square, they have a handsome face. And they have a hair and neckline of luminous frills and are wearing like a simple cut suit. And I think when Nilcat walks in, they start to protest. Um, how, how do you make them stop? I think Ezra is going to put a hand on each of their shoulders and kind of not forcefully, but insistently kind of push them back down into their chair. <laughs> I'd say now, if I were you, actually. No, I want to know what this is about. Who do all these people think they're voting for? I don't know much about how voting works, in fairness. But I'm not sure if you can ask that. 
Now, I have brought you a pen, just in case. And just, like, slide a very grubby pen onto the table. I think they look around the room where quite a few people have sat down opposite the bureaucrats and clerks. I think anyone that was here to vote, I guess officially, has kind of been ushered to the side of the room or has left. Most of the people here are voting for someone called Cerevoma Glass, who left the room earlier before Nilcat did. I think they are someone in their 50s. I think they're quite well thought of. I think they are a long time like shopkeeper in Atrium. They maybe ran one of the cafes that people still went to, even when everything else was getting a bit more run down. And Status Raglan looks around the room and then looks back at you and says, do you think it'll matter? Do you think they'll go for all of this? I don't rightly give a fuck, mate. Let them vote. Um, I think it's try time to try and convince them. Let's... That feels like a command. It does feel like a command. Which I have zero mm. points in. I like to think Nilcat is providing assistance for this move because he literally kicked the doors down and then stood in the middle of the chamber hollering. I think that makes sense. So that gives you plus one D. You can push yourself, accept the devil's bargain. I cannot push myself, but I will hear a devil's bargain. I think the devil's bargain is, regardless of how this role goes, uh, Status Raglan is going to get the stick for this. Fine. That seems like not my concern. That's a three. Uh, you falter. Press on by seizing a risky opportunity or withdraw and try a different approach. I think Status just crosses their arms and sits there. I'm going to slam their head into their desk. This is me trying my risky opportunity. Okay, uh, you slam their head into the desk. Uh, what would you like to roll? Is it command? I guess it's command again. Yeah, I want it to be skirmish, but it's probably command, isn't it? Yeah. Skirmish is actively hurting. Was that I don't think this is what that is. Um, and a devil's bargain, if you want one, is you'll gain two heat for your crew. Ivar, can we take a little heat? Yeah, we've got no heat at the minute because I sorted it out last time. Go on then. That's a five. Uh, so on a five, you do it, but as a consequence, a complication occurs, you have reduced effect, or you end up in a desperate position. I think what happens is you slam Status's head into a desk and they shake it off. They look at you and say, I think you care more than you thought. And then says, excuse me, and goes to brush your hands off their shoulder so that they can stand up. I allow this. They stand to their feet, clear their throat in a way that everyone pays attention to. They're used to commanding the attention of a room and say, it seems that today... All of the citizens of Embrace want to vote. And I, Status Raglan, say let them. Voting officials, please, hear 
the votes that they are cast and treat them as you would normally. I think some of the protesters begin to like laugh at this, but I think it works. I think the officials stop refusing to hear the protesters and the protesters start to register their votes and you see people coming in and voting for Saravoma Glass or registering void votes in the Holm Ward election or tearing stuff up. I think we get a couple of scenes of some of the officials being cast out because I think some of them refuse and they are the officials that the syndics had planted in here and they're unceremoniously booted out by the protesters and laughed at. But a complication occurs. After an hour or so, something happens. And it's not specifically in this room and it's not specifically among this people. As you're watching everything unfold, as you're watching the protest move through the city, maybe you're still in the building, maybe you've left, the ground begins to shake. It's sort of gentle at first, the soft rumbling that you attribute to the the banging of drums, the marching of footsteps, but it gets heavier and heavier. People struggle to stay upright. People in the march panic. People in the room panic. The great fault that started with the earthquake in Atrium all those months ago opens for a second time. 